Our next attribute, the next Kinyan in the list of the Memches Kinyane Torah, is Emunas Chachamim. Emunas Chachamim is a obviously important but somewhat vague and even misunderstood idea, which is often discussed in general uh, in religious life, uh, generally discussed in to what extent one has to listen to rabbis, to what extent do rabbis have authority uh, in specific halachic areas and broader, perhaps not halachic areas. This is a term that is often discussed, bantied about, but that's obviously not what we're interested in per se. What we want to understand is specifically what does the Brysa mean here when it mentions Amunas HaChamim, and specifically not only what definitionally what is it referring to, but ultimately how does it relate to learning? Even if one were to take a very positive pro Amunas HaChamim approach in general, one does not necessarily see that as obviously connected to one's uh, learning uh, and success in learning. So if Chazal include this as one of the list of the Memches Kinyan Torah, they obviously have something specific in mind and also have a specific benefit in mind when it comes to learning. So there are different interpretations, both of what this means, what are we referring to, and then obviously flowing from that, how it benefits Talmud Torah. The Medrash Shmuel here uh, says that it doesn't just mean belief in the Chachamim, but rather as a stand-in, it refers to a belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's really alluding to what is the best way to have belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's an age-old question of what would be preferable, Emunah Pshuta, or Chakira, as it might be called, philosophical speculation and proofs and the like. And says the Medrash Shmuel, our Bryce is making the point strongly that Masorah, not only from one's parents, but the Masorah we have from our rabbis, from our teachers, that's the best way to come to belief in Hashem. Don't think that belief can just be based on philosophy and personal analysis and hakiros. Rather, we should be like the Chachamim based on tradition and Masorah, going all the way back to Sinai. Only this way, says the Medrash Shmuel, will faith be firmly uh, implanted and stay no matter what the temptations or difficulties are. So that's one interpretation which kind of makes it really different and far afield from what we were expecting. Nevertheless, the Maharal in Der Chaim, he says that no, Pshuto Kemashmo, we're talking about the importance of trusting and believing in the Chachamim, but he adds specifically that if you believe in the Chachamim, then you will be Daveik to them. It has to do with being Daveik to Tamir Chachamim. That's the action item, so to speak. Cleave to, be close with, uh, to Chachamim. How does that help one's learning? So the Maharal goes on to explain, again, this is consistent with what we've seen numerous times already from the Maharal, that the, this, like other attributes we have already discussed, makes a person into the type of person who is ra'ui, who's deserving of uh, being able to acquire and retain one's learning. It doesn't have a direct uh, cause and effect relationship in the sense of cognitively or rationally why that makes you a better learner or some such thing. But rather, the Maral understands, you know, I guess you could say metaphysically, that a person has to be a certain type of person to be a klikibul, the kind of person who can be worthy of the Torah. And Amunas Chachamim is part of that uh, description. The Sefer HaChinuch in Mitzvah Tuf 
Lamed Dalid 4.34, actually commenting there on the mitzvah, the general mitzvah of Ludov Kabo, which has to do with cleaving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the Chinuch there adds that it applies not only to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but uh, kind of, you know, in the sense of S, Larabos Tamir Chachamim, that we are supposed to cleave to the Chachamim as well. But there, it seems that the Chinuch is giving not like the Maharal, a more metaphysical or mystical approach, but rather very rationally, that the more you cleave, the more you're davek to Chachamim, then simply the more access, the more ability you'll have to learn from them. Kind of like what we saw in a previous year about Shimush Chachamim. So if we assume that Amunus Chachamim here refers to Dvekus, so then we have two interpretations why that would help. One is the Maharal, more mystical, uh, and the other is the Sefer HaChinuch, more rational. So that's two interpretations. The first one, not really about our learning as much as the best way to come to belief in Hashem is via Masorah. But when it comes to the second idea, more what we were expecting, that we are talking about approach to Chazal, specifically being Davek, and that has two benefits for learning. Another interpretation is suggested by some Mepharshim, uh, generally as well as here. Uh, the Tiferes Yisrael here on Arbraisa says it refers to trust. Emuna is Miloshon accepting or trusting in Chazal. We must be willing to trust and accept all of their teachings. Afilu lo yasigam Even if we don't understand, even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense to us, Emunas Chachamim means we nevertheless have to accept and to trust. This, of course, calls to mind the famous Sifrei in Shoftim that Rashi quotes there in Devarim Perak Zion, that we're supposed to, you know, los, los sosor, not deviate from the words of the Chachamim, even yaminu small, and the Medr says, afilu marim be'enech al yamin shu small v'al small shuhuka yamin, nevertheless shma lahem. That even if you think the Chachamim are making a mistake, that what they say is right, you think is left, or what they say is left, you think is right, still, as the Tiferes Yisrael here said, afilu lo yisigam v'sichlo, as Rashi and the Sifrei famously say, even if they think right or left, it doesn't matter. Belief in Chazal, trust in them, following them, obeying them, that is a Munas Chachamim. How will this uh, help? So before we get to how it helps in learning, why is this just important in general? Why is that so important? Why should we go ad kerekach? You know, what if it, we really think they're wrong? I mean, we're just supposed to turn off our brains? So here, on our Brisa, the Medr Shmuel points out that when it comes to trust in something like Chazal, which is so important, Chazal understood, and the Torah understands, psychologically, that it really, for most people, is an all-or-nothing thing. Either there's buy-in, and we're willing to trust even what we don't understand, or there's a certain level of independent skepticism and then, with very little effort, the whole wall comes tumbling down. If you doubt the truth to even one of their teachings, the fear is, says the Meder Shmuel, eventually you'll reject all of their words and become, perhaps even in an extreme case, uh, a heretic. Uh, this may sound hard to believe, even extreme, but it's not just the Meder Shmuel. The Rambam makes this exact point in Hilchos Tumas Tzara'as, Perek Tetzayin, Halacha Yud, where the Rambam says... And commenting on this general point, if a person is not accepting in the tzaddikim, he's a late, he's a scoffer, a skeptic, even making fun, um, doesn't accept things, it starts off somewhat innocuously, somewhat innocently, but eventually says the Rambam, and then eventually leads to not only accepting or disagreeing, but making fun of and ridiculing 
the Chachamim. And then eventually the Rambam says, Umitoch kach ba'en ledaber be'elohim u'kofrim be'ikar. Then it comes to scoffing, mocking, ridicule, even the Rabboni Shalom, an ultimate heresy. So I guess sometimes in other contexts we refer to this idea of a slippery slope, and often people uh, are hesitant towards slippery slope arguments, uh, but it seems clear that not only psychologically are they very uh, often very intuitive and realistic, uh, but Chazal, and in this case Rishonim, and Chronim, no less than the Rambam, uh, at least in certain circumstances, is very attuned to this. And therefore, this idea of a munas chachamim, even though we don't understand, can be very, very important because you pull out one uh, brick and unfortunately, the tendency is that the whole wall comes tumbling down. So that's why a munas chachamim may be important in general. But what you didn't yet yet discuss is, if a munas chachamim means this trust in chachamim, how does that dafka relate to our learning? So here we have, uh, I think, two uh, fundamental uh, approaches, which I think are worth uh, considering. Number one is the Medr Shmuel uh, says that it has to do with the type of person that you are. Im lo af lo lo hatorah. That a person who doesn't truly believe in Chazal, then the secrets, the Raze hatorah will be withheld from the person. Avera. Now, what I think he's clearly getting at um, is similar to the Maharal, but in his own way, it's a more of a spiritual or metaphysical approach. And that is that we have to realize that success in learning the Kidian Torah requires divine assistance. Siyata Dishmaya, it's not just about IQ or even about effort, but it requires above and beyond both of those things, Hashem's blessing, Siyata Dishmaya. And therefore, he says, if we aren't fully committed to Chazal, and therefore there's this worry that, as the Rambam and the Medr Shmuel himself said, one thing could lead to another, and you could be ridiculing Chazal, and eventually not even believing fully in Hashem and in the Torah, as a result, says the Medr Shmuel, Hashem will withhold that divine grace, that Siyat Shmaya, if he's worried that by revealing the Razi Torah to you, by giving you the insights into Torah, but if you're the kind of person who one day might crash and burn, so to speak, Hashem doesn't want, so to speak, to you know, you to have you take him down with you. And therefore, until you kind of show that you're an insider, that you trust implicitly and completely the whole system and all the people that make the system, i.e. the Chachamim, Hashem will withhold the Razi Torah from you because he's worried where it might lead. So even though we explained that there's a certain psychological logic to this, but I think overall it's fair to describe this much like we did the Maharal before as more of a spiritual or metaphysical approach. Rav Yaakov Emden in the Yaivitz, uh, in the uh, Lechem Shemaim here, I think he gives uh, also very important and maybe even more logically compelling uh, and rationally accessible idea. And that is, he says, that is to say, what Amunus Chachamim here means, specifically in the context of learning, is don't be too confident in your own intelligence. Don't trust yourself so much that you assume and you make the assumption that when you don't understand something, that it's the Chachamim's fault. Rather, just the opposite. Do your best to understand, and when you don't, choose to assume that the limitations are yours, 
and not the Chachamims. Now, I say this is, I think, incredibly rational for two reasons. One is when we realize who the Chachamim were, Tanaim, Amoraim, Rishonim, Gedol Achronim, etc. They were you know, men of staggering brilliance, leave aside all their other virtues, but staggering brilliance, fully committed and immersed in a system. You know, is it really likely, just objectively, is it really likely that they're mistaken or you're mistaken? Now, that doesn't mean to say you have to say, I understand. If you don't understand, you don't. But when you don't understand, what's the more likely uh, limitation or deficiency? Moreover, I think the IBIS is assuming something which is very, very important and in a somewhat glib way I sometimes even share with the Talmudim, that all of learning starts with the assumption that the Chachamim weren't idiots. That's the glib, crass way of putting it. But uh, maybe a better way of saying it is we assume that the Chachamim, whether it's in the Gemara or the Rishonim, etc., we assume that they knew what they were doing. They're not fools. And therefore, when we don't understand what Rashi meant, because Tosus has a really great question, so then instead of just dismissing it, we crack our heads until we understand Rashi better, which is not only understanding Rashi better, it gives us a certain window into the sugya. And that's the same thing for Machlokas, uh, Rabbi Yochan and Rish Lakish, Rashi and Tosos, the Ramam and the Raivid, the Ketos and the Nesivis, and uh, Rosh Zaman Arbach and Moshe Feinstein and whoever. If we assume as an intellectual posture, forget supernatural, forget mystical, forget spiritual, as an intellectual posture, if we assume that the people we're dealing with are really, really smart and really, really masters of the material. So then, instead of dismissing uh, something we don't understand, we'll have the discipline intellectually to work even harder and harder to understand. And often that will not only yield simple results, but it may even yield great breakthroughs. As I say, the whole premise of learning, certainly anything B'iyun or Lamdus, starts with this, what the Ibit is calling Emunas Chachamim, that we trust that that's where the, the truth lies with them, and wherefore we don't just dismiss things that we don't understand. Uh, I'll conclude this part of the shir by mentioning an amazing idea, very consistent with the Yaivitz, contained in a tshuva of the Sridei Eish, which is in Chelek Aleph, Simon Kufir Gimel, who asks the question, he thinks that perhaps even in our list of Kinyane Torah, that this current attribute, the idea of the Munus Chachamim, he says, doesn't that contradict with Pilpul Chaverim, which as many explain and we discussed in that earlier shear, refers to questioning and analyzing. Yet Amunus Chachamim, at first glance, seems to be just, you know, accept uh, on faith. Emuna, have Emuna Chachamim, don't even question, don't analyze. So says the Sridiyash beautifully, it's a two-step process and each one works with, off of each other. If you don't start off as a, an assumption in believing in the Chachamim, then you'll easily reject them. And therefore he says, it's midarche ha-chachma, not midarche frumkait, midarche ha-chachma, that we must believe in the Chachamim. But once we make that first step, then we don't have to blindly accept, rather we analyze as if we were their equal even though we, our first step is that we're nothing near them, we're nothing close to them. We understand that they are completely different than us. But once we start off with that, then when it comes to the second stage, where we're actually the pilpul, the analysis, as if they were part of the Chabura, they were in our shear together. One without the other would be a disaster. If you just have the blind faith, you can't learn, you won't accomplish anything. And if you only have the pilpul without the first trust, that just will lead to rejection 
of the learning at best, and who knows religiously where you end up at worst. Says the Sridiyash, only when they're working in tandem, if they work in tandem, can you get the Kinyan Torah? So I think this is probably really what Rav Yaakov Emden meant, and I think it works really, really beautifully. And a final point in that regard, that Chaim Velazhener in Ruach Chaim in Avos, way back in the beginning of Perak Aleph, on the famous mission of heavy Mis'abek Ba'afaraglehem, we should be cleaving to the dust of the feet of the Ruach Chaim, so he makes this point exactly. We are obligated, says Rukhaim Velazhener, to question, to debate, but all has to be done through an attitude of humility. Mis'abek Milashon Ne'avak, he says. Really creative read. That misabek not miloshon cleave, but miloshon ne'evak, debate, fight with the words of the Chachamim. But always, with humility. So I think these last three, Sriyesh, the Rachaim, and Lachim Shemaim, all explain Amunus Chachamim in the way we usually understand it, a certain trust or belief in Chazal. But they explain that only way that's important religiously in general. The Rambam had talked about uh, we don't want to become a scoffer, a shalom, or a heretic, even worse. But they explain specifically why that has, even on a rational level, uh, a necessary component in achieving a Kenyan Torah. The next and second um, topic for today's shir, the next Kenyan, uh, is quite an important and difficult, perhaps painful one, Kabbalah's Yisurin, dealing with life's difficulties, setbacks, and often uh, tragedies. So here, both Mepharshim in general, and specifically when it comes to Kenyan Torah, uh, there is a, not a divide in the very strong sense, but there are two different perspectives, some focusing on the Yisurin, the benefits or the necessity of Yisurin per se, and others focusing on the Kabbalah's Yisurin, not so much the challenges of life, but the Kabbalah, how we deal with them, how we accept them. So let's start off with um, Yisurin as the focus. That is to say that there may be some benefit, religiously or even perhaps intellectually in Torah, to Yisurin per se. The Gemara in Brachos on Davhei of Aleph very famously tells us that there are three matonos, three gifts, that are only acquired through challenges uh, in Yisurin, Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Olam Haba. So obviously now is not the time to deal with Eretz Yisrael and Olam Haba, we see this as a statement of fact, the Yisurin, not the attitude per se, at least not, 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 that's not indicated in the Gemara's law shown, but Yisurin per se are somehow necessary for the Kenyan in Torah. The Rambam in Hechaz Talmud Torah, Perak Gimel, Halacha Yibet, waxes poetically and strongly and strikingly on this very point. Ein divrei Torah miskaimin b'mishem marpeh not someone who just thinks he can just take it easy. Vlob elo shalom dim mitoch idun umitoch achila b'shtia, not a person who just thinks they can luxuriate and sleep well, eat well, drink well, and will also become kamen chachamim. But rather, who's going to get the Kenyan of Torah? Says the Rambam, Misha meimis atzma aleihen umetzaer gufo tamid. Basically, his way of saying, you got to suffer, you got to accept the pain, lean into the pain. It's the only way to have Kenyan Torah. The Yalkut Shimoni uh, makes this point in a very, very beautiful and dramatic way by saying that that's basically the message that Moshe Rabbeinu gave the people at Kabbalah Satorah. 
and describes Alpidrush uh, that Moshe had a very hard time up in Shemaim for 40 days. He had to suffer and battle with all sorts of scary malachim and angels to be able to bring that Torah down from heaven to this world. And therefore Moshe says to the people, Nasati nafshi Allah, I was willing to give my life for the Torah. Nasati, Adami nasati Allah, I spilled blood for the Torah. And just like I had to suffer and learn Torah in Shemaim for 40 days, the only way you will be able to similarly succeed in Torah is if you suffer through it. So this is three quick sources, each one I think very, very powerful, making the point that suffering, Yisurin, are necessary for Torah. What we have in the address is why. In what way does this actually help? So one answer, um, I think, relates back to that original uh, Gemara, uh, a little bit earlier on the same Gemara and Brachos, it, takes, it speaks about how uh, Yusurin can purify. Yusurin are mimarakek, mimaraik, excuse me, kol gufo shel adam. That uh, you can mimarek, you can cleanse and purify a person through their Yusurin. And the Gemara continues by comparing uh, it to salt. And just like salt can sweeten and cleanse and bring out the blood from meat, uh, so too, says the Gemara, Yisurin play the same role in a person the way salt plays in meat. Yisurin amamarek, the avono shel adam. And that is to say what we sometimes talk about colloquially. In Yiddish there's a saying, zolzayin kapara. Uh, in Hebrew, certainly among Spartan, you'll hear people say, even very simple people, uh, something bad happens, kapara, kapara. Uh, but it's not a, a folk idea or just a simple idea. It's already uh, a notion that is mentioned in the Gemara that there is something powerfully cleansing and uh, spiritually edifying and purifying about suffering in this world. On our b'risa here in Perkeavos, uh, the Ruchaim, Ruchaim Voloshner, and in our own day, Rabbi Lau and the Yachel Yisrael uh, make this point, that suffering is a kapara, like that salt expunging the blood, Yisurin expunge and cleanse us from sin. And here, I think if you assume this is the correct uh, shot or the emphasis, what we're basically saying is there's not a direct one-to-one connection between Yisurin and learning, as much as overall, uh, as hard as they are to suffer through, but nevertheless Yisurin and challenges and difficulties in life overall will elevate us spiritually. Memela, step two, that'll help us with lots of things, including learning. That's uh, one idea. Maral here uh, says a different pshat, and he says something consistent with what we saw earlier in today's shir and many times, and then the focus is uh, not generally uh, being a good person and being free of sin, but specifically in a very targeted way, um, developing the type of personality who would be an appropriate klikibul uh, receptacle for Torah. And when it comes to Yisurin in particular, he says that, as we have seen many times from Maral, he emphasizes the idea that Torah is a seichel and a chachma she'ena mida gufanit. It's a purely intellectual, purely spiritual phenomenon. But therefore, says the Maral, as we've seen him say similarly previously, e'ena oda magia alha bilti gufanit, rak b'tis amet ha-gufanit. Ha-Yisurin mematen ha-gufani that is to say, says the Maral, because Torah is so uniquely rational, intellectual, and spiritual, it cannot find a home, it cannot be contained in a body, in a person that's too gufani, that's too migusharm, too physical, too chomri. And therefore, he says, the Yisurin, so to speak, cleanse us of 
in, again, different types of Yisurim can do this in more or less extreme ways. But he says the Yisurim make us less connected to physicality. Again, I'm extrapolating on my own, but I, in his spirit, you know, if you have a lot of money, you're connected to the money. But if you don't have any money, that comes with suffering, but it also means you're less attached to the physical things that money can buy. You could say the same thing for hunger or for sickness. You know, the more your body, and you, you sometimes, again, you hear this even from people who have been very sick or their body doesn't work. Right? The more their body fails them, the less they identify with their body. So this is exactly what the Maral is saying. He says it here at Darchayim and in Nesivas Olam, Nesiv Hayesurin in Parak Aleph, he makes that point. So this is very consistent with the Maral in general, and again, obviously not speaking about learning in a purely rational, intellectual way, rather again, Lashitato, he's speaking about this broader idea of making ourselves uh, into the appropriate vessel and receptacle for Torah, and specifically we need to be, in this case, less um, physical. A third idea, again, focusing on the benefit of Yisurin per se, is from the Lechem Shemayim of Yaakov Emden, who says that, again, it's not very different from the Maharal, but I think it is a little bit of a different focus. He says you need Yisurin in order to have a Kenyan Torah. Why? Because you have too many good things in life, too much success, an abundance of Shalva, an abundance of good, then you will just be too um, distracted, too tempted, and you rebel, and who wants to spend all their time learning or focusing on religious things if you have all these good physical and material things. So it's very, very similar to the Maral, and that in a certain sense, but I think it's more rationalist. You can understand this uh, completely. Again, there are obviously exceptions. We all know people, whether adults, who are quite successful, who are still very religious and sincere and learn, and we know children who've grown up in very wealthy homes who can still do that. But... There's a certain, uh, I think, logic which we can uh, understand that there is a certain challenge or nisoyon to wealth, to physical prosperity, etc., etc., which can uh, often be competition or conflict with spirituality and learning. And says the Rav Yaakov when you don't have those things so very rationally, logically, uh, you know, uh, again, if you want to be, you could say it in a very simple or almost, almost cynical way, if you have nothing else, you might as well learn. So that's more or less what Rav Yaakov Emden is saying, just not saying it cynically. Okay, so Ad Khan was focusing on the Asurin per se, three interpretations why they might help learning. However, there are a, there's a second approach, and that is, as I say, that mentions not Yisurin per se, but the benefit of Kabbalah's Yisurin, the emphasis focusing on the Kabbalah, how we accept, how we deal with Yisurin, how we react. So Rashi here already says, he says, he adds one word, ba'ahava. Okay, leave aside how we do that, how we reach such a level to love Yusurin. But the point is, Rashi, you see, it's focusing not on the Yusurin, but on the reaction. Similarly, the Tiferes Yisrael says it's accepting uh, the Yusurin without questioning the justness of God's judgment. That's what's being highlighted here, not the benefit of the Yusurin, but the fact that without questioning God, you accept the Yusurin. The Medrash Shmuel in his first interpretation, he's also uh, focused on this. He says explicitly, he's medayek, that it says Kabbalah's Yisurin, not just Yisurin, and that's because it's referring to the rec- a person who has the recognition that Yisurin are a result of Hashkacha. They're coming from Hashem, and therefore you don't rebel against them, but rather you accept them that sever panim yafos. The Chassid Yavitz, the Chassid Yavitz uh, says similarly, don't rebel, but rather assume that Yisurin are coming because of the result of your shortcomings, as the uh, Gemara Brachos famously tells us, that a person should always be mefashvesh b'masav. Something bad happens, 
the first instincts you should have are what did I do wrong? Why did I, what did I do to deserve this? Again, it's all about my attitude uh, towards them. The Orachayim in Devarim in Perchet, Pasuk Hey, on the Pasuk Viedata Im Lubavacha Ki Kasher Yaser Ish Ezbano Hashem Elokecha Miyasreka. So there's an association with just like a person would punish or discipline his own son, that's how Hashem relates to us, says the Orachayim beautifully. All Yisurin are really ultimately Shalava, in the sense that just like it's only natural to give Musr or serious rebuke or tochacha or discipline, it's only natural to do that to your own child. You wouldn't do that to your neighbor's child, even if they were doing the same thing as your child, or even worse. But you do it because of a certain relationship and responsibility and to love towards your child. So too, says Orachayim, what the Torah is telling us is that Karsh Baruchu doesn't punish the nations of the world the way he would punish and hold accountable the Jewish people because he really cares more about us. We're banim lamakom. And therefore, as hard as it is, but we have to realize that it all comes from a place of love. With Dr. Abraham J. Torsky and his uh, contemporary commentary on uh, Perke Avos, uh, discusses this point generally, and he asks, you know, how can the Mishnah ask us to accept suffering when it's human nature, we're hardwired to avoid pain? It's a very natural human instinct, and now the Mishnah is telling us, the Bryce is telling us to accept it, to love it. So Tversky differentiates between suffering and pain. Pain is something that's more objective, but suffering is the interpretation of that pain. Suffering is the brain's interpretation of the pain, and that's why you know, whether it's hypnosis, therapy, or drugs can sometimes help. The pain is objective. Once it's no longer interpreted as suffering, uh, the therapy or the, the, the medicine or whatever may, doesn't always make the pain go away, but it can help a person. Therapy or other things can help a person interpret the, the pain in another way, in a different way, so that they don't suffer from it. So to a state of mind, says Dr. Tversky, can alter our interpretation. If a person truly loves and trusts Hashem and really believes in their gut, in their kishkes, everything's for good, so that can not necessarily take away the pain, but it certainly would take away the suffering of that pain. Now, that's clearly a high level, a high madrega, but it seems like that's what Chazal are calling us to do here. Um, a second version of all of this, um, just to mention uh, briefly, both of the Medrash Shmuel in, a, in an additional interpretation and Rechaim Velazhener speak about Kabbalah, not Kabbalah's not just in the sense that we're willing to accept it when it is visited upon us, rather that a person willingly is makabel, proactively, makabel, willingly, takes upon himself, volunteers for various Yisurin. Why? Because you realize that that's a necessary way of acquiring Torah. As it says in Ovos earlier, Kachi Darka Shel Torah, Pas Tochal, etc. And the Rechaim Velazhner says this point, we have to, so to speak, sign up for, volunteer for Yisurin, because hard work or denial of worldly pleasures and the like, and that's going to help us for two reasons. Number one, by kind of volunteering for the small suffering, Hopefully that'll save us from additional, more severe suffering. Plus, it's a reward in and of itself because Torah studied under difficult challenging circumstances is a higher madrega than Torah studied uh, otherwise. So according to this, even though the focus is on Kabbalah, but here the actual benefit comes from the Yisurin. It's just that the advice is Yisurin are so important, be makabal them, run after them. So that's a little bit of a different idea from the Medrash Shmuel But the previous sources we saw... Um, we're focusing, again, not on the benefit of the surin, but we just saw a number of fo- sources focus on our attitude, our willingness to accept with emuna, etc., and faith and trust uh, in the surin. So what's not yet clear, and what this will conclude, is but why should that 
help with learning? Why is that a Kenyan Torah? If the focus is on our reaction to life's challenges, our reaction to suffering in this world, how is that a way of Kenyan Torah? So here, briefly, uh, three interpretations. First, uh, it's very possible, based on what we've seen until now, that this very attitude of Ahava or Emuna that elevates the person just generally makes the person on a higher madrega, and therefore you're more rowy uh, to be that klikibul of Torah. As we saw earlier, uh, it's not directly, but in a two-step process, the attitude, uh, it's not just that the surin will make you better, it's the attitude, the willingness to accept them with faith and with love and trust in Hashem that elevates the person, step one, and Mamela, step two, you deserve the Torah. However, the Machzervitri here in Avos has a different interpretation. He says there's more of a direct connection between your attitude and your success in learning. He says if you have Yusurin, if you don't trust Hashem's judgment, then you'll view those Yusurin, you'll view that suffering as an indictment of the value of Torah study. After all, I'm learning, and the Torah didn't protect me. If that's the case, very likely that eventually you'll abandon Torah. So it's not an uh, inherent connection between your Kabbalah and your ability to be successful in Torah, but it's more of a, you know, defense, not offense, if you will. It's a protection. If you have the right religious attitude and interpretation of your suffering, you're makabal the Yisurin, so even when you have terrible things, you won't abandon Torah, and therefore it'll leave space for you to continue growing. Last but not least, the Medr Shmuel says, um, in one, again, in his interpretation, the first one, where it's not about the inherent good of the suffering per se, but rather, he says, what it means is, Kabbalah Yisurin, a person should love Torah so much that even if he suffers Yisurin, they will not distract him from his learning. It's that type of person who can make a Kenyan on Torah. If a Tamil Chacham allows himself to be distracted by his challenges, then life is constantly full of challenges and a person will never get anything done. So we've seen a lot. This is a huge topic which we really only, I hope, clearly, um, but nevertheless succinctly try to summar- try to review, but to very quickly summarize, uh, we saw altogether, I would say, five different uh, interpretations. Is the benefit Yisurin per se, or is it your attitude, the Kabbalah of the Yisurin? If it's the Yisurin per se, that it, maybe you'd even go so far as to say Makabal in the sense of volunteer run after Yisurin, but either way, the idea is Yisurin per se might help with your learning, how so? We saw three reasons. Either it's a certain kapara, kapara, zolzayin of kapara, it gives you more zechuyos, um, etc. Number one. Number two is it makes you more physical, less, more spiritual, less physical, Allah the maral, or it removes the distractions that more naturally and rationally, the distractions of wealth and material prosperity, and therefore allows you to focus on learning. And then lastly, we saw that there was another possibility, which is it's not the Yisurin per se, but the Kabbalah, a focus on your attitude and your reaction with love and trust and faith in Hashem's judgment. And how does that help Dafka learning? How does that help Kenyan Torah? So we said either because it gives you a certain higher madrega, similarly, you just you, rot, you, you become a better, more spiritual uh, person that Hashem is going to bless with success, or you don't the attitude. Cr- you know, filters the reaction and it changes your interpretation so you're not distracted. And we also saw the possibility that otherwise, if you don't have the right attitude of faith and trust in Hashem, then you'll say, zelo fair. You'll think it's unjust, it's not fair, I'm learning Torah, I'm a good person and bad things are happening to me. And then you'll eventually reject the Torah. But if you have the right attitude and faith and love in Hashem, then despite whatever life throws at you, you'll continue to learn and continue to aspire to the Kenyan Torah.